Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is going to be based on God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to invite you to follow along on page 10 and 11. 11 contains the sermon notes uh, if you'd like to fill in any blanks and take notes as well there. This is God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But, When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Satan's great wish is that you are either absorbed with self-confidence or you are overwhelmed with despair. Think about that. Satan has one great wish, and it is that you are either absorbed with self-confidence or you are absolutely overcome with despair. Think about that maybe just existentially for a moment. And first of all, think through all of the times you, you felt that euphoric high of having a ton of self-confidence and think through all the times where you've experienced that, that crushing weight of despair. I mean, then you're forced to reckon with the fact that, well, there are evil forces that want you there. And second, you're forced to wrestle with the fact that throughout your life, not only have evil forces been, been trying to push you to those extremes, 
but they're going to do it as long as you live. Now ask yourself why that is. And that is the subject and that is the answer that the Apostle Paul takes up in his letter to the Christians in Corinth, which we just read. What we're going to do this morning is look at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, words that are directed towards people on this end of the spectrum, people who are really absorbed with self-confidence. We've had sermons before where we've really focused God's word on people who are in despair and how God's word lifts up those in despair and comforts those who are crushed. This sermon, this scripture, focuses on and people who are wrapped up in, in wanting self-confidence, more self-confidence, or, or who currently are. But more importantly than who this is for, well, let me just tell you what, what Christ does with this scripture. What he's going to do is completely crush any false ideas that, that you and I have had about self-confidence He's going to replace it. He's going to replace it with real confidence and and real confidence that gives you a fresh and, and better perspective on life that is so often lived between these polarizing extremes, going back and forth between the high of self confidence and the low of despair. What we're going to do this morning is walk our way through these verses. And I'm going to share with you just one big idea, one takeaway from this. And then we're going to going to apply it with three applications to our life. So let's get into it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul writes some really heavy stuff to Christians there and starts out by saying to them, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Might be worth providing a little backstory to what's going on and why Paul is writing these really heavy words to people and saying, Look, I don't don't want you to be ignorant about this. Here's what happened. The Apostle Paul set up a church in Corinth with the help of the Christians there. And most of those who became Christians didn't come from a maybe Judeo background where they worshipped the triune God. They, They came from a background where they were into kind of pagan worship. So praise God, they're Christians now, and they're really thankful for their faith in Christ. But understandably, these new Christians had some questions about being a Christian. And so they wrote a letter to Paul asking him some questions. First Corinthians is, is Paul's response to their letter. And one of their questions was about these pagan festivals that they used to go to. They said, Paul, we, we used to go to these pagan festivals before we were Christians. And, and now that we're Christians, well, our friends and our family still go to these festivals. Paul, would, would it be okay if we still went. And evidently, their thinking went like this. Some of their logic, although faulty, went like this. They said, Paul, 
we were baptized and we know that baptism connects you inseparably with Christ Jesus and God's family of believers. So we're on solid ground, right? We, we can go to something like this. They would say, Paul, we have taken the Lord's Supper. We have received Christ's body and blood in us. So like we can eat and drink whatever we want, right? And it won't harm us. You see where Paul's going to have to go with this, don't you? They're a pretty confident group of people, but they're confident it, it's misplaced. Their confidence is in themselves, in their faith, in their ability to overcome difficult situations, spiritually speaking, to overcome temptations. Oh, it's faith, it's confidence, all right, but in whom? So what Paul is going to do is issue them a warning, perhaps one of the most famous, one of the strongest warnings in all the New Testament. Paul's going to say, if you think you're standing firm, watch out. Watch out, be careful, so that you don't fall. But first, before that warning, Paul illustrates from history maybe an example to help them understand what they're thinking. He points them to the Old Testament people, the Israelites. And, and this is a great example for us because just like many of the Christians in Corinth, they weren't Jewish, but nonetheless, they could relate to their ancestors in the faith. Paul says, look, you are confident that you were saved by your baptism, that you are saved, that you're in God's family of believers, that you've been washed clean and received forgiveness of sins. That's good. Listen, so also were the people in Israel. They received a baptism of sorts. They were united with Moses and with God when they passed through the Red Sea. They knew God's word. They knew God's pardon and God's peace, just like you. Paul says, look, look, you know that you have Christ in you because you receive his body and blood in the sacrament of Holy Communion. You know you have forgiveness and, and strengthening of your faith there. But Paul says, listen, the Israelites, they received a holy meal of sorts. They had manna from God every single day. They drank a spiritual drink, if you will. They drank water that miraculously came from a rock. And, and Paul says, that rock was Christ, benefiting them, blessing them. And yet, nevertheless... Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Paul says these things, listen, I'm telling you, they're example for you to keep us from setting our hearts on the same evil that they did. Paul's going to write to them about where your heart is. Is it absorbed in self-confidence? Is it, is it drowned in, in despair? He goes, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about where to set your heart so it's not set on the same evil that they set their heart on. And then what Paul's going to do is go into a laundry list of evil examples. Listen to it again. Paul said, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. 
And do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. I mentioned it before. This is a pretty heavy, pretty law-heavy section of God's word. So what is Paul trying to do in this section? Well, how many of you have ever seen this book before? I'm guessing not many of you have. Sorry, the title didn't show up that well. It's called The Book of Accidents, designed for the young children. Now, this book was originally published first in 1831, and you can't buy it anymore. It's not around. I checked. Trust me on that one. But what this book was designed to do was to give warnings of accidents so that young children would learn. If you page through this book, which you can online, there's some pretty serious accidents that the author wants to warn people around. Like, watch out when crossing the road. There is going to be wagons that come over you. Sorry, that cut out, well, the time limit. I'll tell you what else examples are up there. There's warnings about playing with dogs and making dogs angry. There's warnings that come up about not only worrying dogs, but also Be careful about falling down the stairs, climbing on chairs, falling off of trees after you climb up of trees. There's warnings, of course, that your mom maybe gave you this one. Don't trouble the cook. Maybe not. Your mom didn't give you that one. But you think about it. I can't tell you all of the times where right when I want to drain the boiling water of the noodles, my boys think it's the perfect time to give their dad hugs on the legs. So no, here's a warning. Watch out. Don't trouble the cook. Of course, the age-old adage, don't throw stones because it could poke someone's eye out. And then perhaps my favorite illustration is don't play with the bull. You could be tossed by the bull. But you see what what the author of this book is doing, don't you? You might think this is maybe silly or comical, or maybe it's kind of like, offensive to our modern sensitivities, like why would pictures like this be in a children's book? And you can think all of those, and you'd be right. This book, if it was published today, wouldn't show up on an Amazon bestseller list for kids, would it? And yet it, it's got a good point, doesn't it? It's got a really good point for kids and parents everywhere. Watch out for these things. If you don't watch out for them, bad things will happen. That's what Paul is doing here. This is essentially Paul writing the book of accidents, not for children, but designed for Christian people. It's not just accidents, it's it's real sins. No, this isn't the most warming section of scripture. It's not the most inspiring section of scripture. And yet, it's good. It's good for us to hear. It's it's good for us to be reminded about because what Paul is saying is, look, these are written down for you. For example, so, so that you don't end up like they did. What Paul does is he goes through common sins that people struggle with. He starts out with idolatry. And he says, don't be idolaters. And you think, well, I, I don't bow down to golden images. No, 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 that's not idolatry. Idolatry is, is looking for good from something other than Christ. It is looking to get good from your entertainment, your relaxation, your friends, your family, your hobbies, your work. It's looking to receive good from that instead of receiving good from God alone. That's idolatry. 
Paul says, don't be idolaters. He says, don't be sexually immoral. Don't confuse God's design for marriage and for sex. One man and one woman, and that is the way God set it up because God doesn't look favorably on those who who are sexually immoral. He says, look, don't test Christ. And no, if we test Christ today, if we abuse his grace, he probably isn't going to send snakes to kill us. But that's not the point. Paul is saying, look, this is a warning so that you don't. Then how about this one? And do not grumble. God's word puts grumbling, complaining on the same level as idolatry, sexual immorality, and testing Christ. Huh. God says, don't do these. And then he reiterates why these things happened. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Paul's saying, look, all that has happened, the culmination of all the ages, all the bad things that has happened is an example for us. And guess what? All of the good things that has happened in Christ Jesus, that he has come for you, that he has died for you, that he has forgiven you, that he has given new life in him to you, that has come all to this point so that you don't do what Israel did, which you don't do what the ancestors of our faith did. And then Paul issues this warning. He says, look, if you think you are standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. Could there be a more relevant encouragement and warning for us today? For us who who live in one of the most, if not the most prosperous times and places throughout history. People who live with relatively now throughout the world and relatively now throughout history an unprecedented amount of creature comforts. If you think you're all good because things comfortable, because life is good, don't take that to mean that God is unconditionally approving of everything that you do, especially if it's sin. The next verse says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. It's a popular verse, and a lot of people misunderstand this verse because they stop reading after the first line. They think, oh, no temptation has overtaken you. Well, this is really, really great that I'm a Christian. Temptations can't overtake me. But keep reading. Paul does not say, well, this is that, no, no temptation is going to No, he's saying no temptation has overtaken you except the ones that are typical, common, that everyone experiences. So if you think you are some kind of Ebermensch who can stand up to temptations that no one else has been able to stand up to before, think again. Be careful. You might fall. Paul is saying, look, if you think that you figured out a way that you are going to be able to stand up to all the temptations that all of humanity throughout all of time has, has really struggled with. Look, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. The author of the book, The Book of Accidents, designed for young children, 
he wrote this in the foreword to his book. He said, I cannot give a more important service to the rising generation and the parents that will raise that generation than by furnishing them with an account of all the accidents to which children from their inexperience or carelessness are liable. If generally studied, it will save the lives of thousands and relieve many families from the long and unavailing misery attendant on such occurrences. Let me rephrase that and apply that to what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, I I know this is ominous. I know this isn't maybe giving you the feel goods. But listen, this could be no better gift for the next generation of Christians. Look, I know it's hard to say, but I cannot think of anything better to give the rising generation of Christians than this. Something to study, something to pay attention to. Because if you generally study it, you're going to save your life. You're going to save your life, but, but it's not because you're so faithful. It's because of what Paul says next. God is faithful. It's because Understanding this means we see all of the ways we fall into all of the typical common temptations. But check this, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yes, you are going to suffer every kind of temptation that every other human being throughout history has suffered. But yes, there is a way out. And that way is in God who is faithful, faithful in all of the times and places where we are unfaithful. God who changes not is always there for you to give you encouragement, to give you support, to give you a way out and give you forgiveness for all of the times where, well, You don't take the way out that he gives you. This is your savior. Here is real genuine confidence that you can have. It's not in you. It's in Christ who's always with you. Even when you're tempted beyond what you can bear, tempted with self-centered self-confidence, tempted with despair over the times where we, we admit we sin. Here is real confidence and here, can I give you the analogy that, that Jesus uses to demonstrate this? We read it just a moment ago in, in Luke's gospel. There, there's a story being told by Jesus to those who are around him, and he describes a plant in a vineyard that a man wants to cut down because it's not producing fruit. It's not producing, well, evidence that it's rooted in Christ. Here's what each represents. The the man who wants to take care of the vineyard and, and cut down the tree, that's God. And he's coming to judge this tree that has produced, well, fruit. Fruit that we might read about in that list of bad fruits in Galatians 5. Fruit that we've all produced in our lives. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. 
produce that fruit instead of the fruits of the Spirit that are listed just after that. Fruits such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What this parable shows is that God looks at this tree, this vine that's not producing any fruit and, and wants to cut it down. And, and that should scare us. That should serve as a warning. But here's the really good news, that there's someone in between. There's someone in between the acts of judgment and us, and that someone is Christ. Writing, Jesus says, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. What Jesus wants to illustrate is this, that his gracious, abiding presence is always there in your life. And what is he doing in your life? He is fertilizing the soil of your soul. He is turning up the the soil of your heart so that him with you, him in you, well, you and I might be able to produce good fruit. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. We think, all right, it's a really great story, Jesus, and it's really great that Paul, you said that, well, Jesus is going to provide a way out. What does that actually look like in my life? Like, how does that actually come to fruition that when I'm tempted, that when I'm experiencing despair or experiencing self-centered confidence, that there's actually a good way out. I said at the beginning that Satan wants you either here or here, never centered in between. And why? Well, he wants you either consumed with self-confidence because you're turned inward on yourself, or he wants you overcome with despair because even though it looks a whole lot differently than being up here, here too, you're consumed with yourself, and you're not centered. You're not centered on someone else who provides forgiveness, who provides a way out, that someone being Christ. So so where is here? I think by experience, we all relate to being there or there, but where is here? Where is the way out that Paul is talking about? When I'm tempted, should I look for a magic portal that Jesus is going to open up? Should I look to some like, kind of like key to life and happiness that, that God gives? What is that? Well, here's the wonderful news that, that Christians never need to wonder about. They never need to wonder about the question, where is God? Because he's told them where he is. He said, I am here in my word. God said, I am here in baptism. I am here in the Lord's Supper. God says, wherever two or three or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 are gathered together in my name, again, around my word, I am here with you. Where is Christ? That's a question you and I never have to wonder about. Where is the way out? That's a matter that is already solved. It is here, it is here, it is here, and it is here wherever Christians are gathered. On a Sunday, in a large group, in the midweek, during a small group, when you get together with your family and you look at God's word and you pray and you ask him to help you, he's there where his promises are found. And here's the big idea that we're taking away, the answer to the question of why it is that that Satan wants us there or there, but never here. 
It's because we know that God is always hidden, but he's never absent. God's always hidden. You can't see him as you might see a person in his sacraments. You might not see Christ as you see me and I see you when his word is read. God is always hidden, but he's never absent. He is always there for you. He is always there for you, not just providing you a way out, but he is giving you everything that you need to overcome, everything that you need to endure it. This is true confidence. It's not just the esoteric or philosophical feeling of feeling good. It's true help, true certainty that Christ is the rock. Christ is the foundation and the basis of your confidence. And he is wherever you are. He is wherever his word and sacraments are to be found. So let me wrap up and make three brief applications of of this text to your life. The first is this. Big idea is that God is always hidden, but never absent. And, And here's the first application, that a way out is the way. A way is the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the way out that Paul is talking about here. I said it somewhat jokingly that we don't look for a magic portal or some unknown mysterious key to success in life and happiness as the way out of our trouble and temptations. A way out is the way, and it's Christ. He provides that way to you wherever he is found in his gospel, his gospel, which is found in the sacraments, which is found in his word, which is found when ever two or three gather together around his word. To look for him elsewhere is to be arrogant. It's to be prideful. Proverbs says pride comes before the fall. Paul says, be careful that you don't fall thinking that Jesus is going to come to help you out from places other than where he promises to be found in his word, in his sacraments is, well, it's kind of like being like the guy who stayed in his house when the flood came. You've heard that illustration before, right? Maybe even I share it with you. It can be used to illustrate a lot of different things. But the story goes that a flood was coming. And so a man was warned by city officials to evacuate, get out of his house. Some door, knocked on it, said, floodwaters are coming. You got to go. And he said, no, no, I'll stay right here. God's going to rescue me. City official left, floodwaters rose. The man went to the second floor of his house and someone came in on a boat, knocked on the second floor window and said, man, hop in. The flood's coming. You got to go. I'm here to help you. I'm here to save you. He said, no, (laughs) no, no. God is going to save me but the floodwaters rose even higher. So then the man had to be on the top of his house and a helicopter came and dropped the rescue bucket right next to him and said, jump in. This is your last chance to be saved. And he said, no, no, I'm good. God is gonna rescue me. You know how the story ends though, don't you? The flood truly came, covered him and sadly he died. He, he went to heaven and there he is standing at the pearly gates and And he looks at God and he says, God, why didn't you send anyone or anything to save me? And God said, I did. I sent you someone to knock on your door, someone with a boat and someone with a helicopter. You see my point, right? God has sent you his word. 
that knocks on the door of your heart again and again and again whenever you hear it. God has sent you the waters of his baptism to fill your heart and your life with all of the confidence and joy that he gives knowing you are adopted into God's family. God sends you his sacrament dropping into your life whenever we celebrate it here in the Lord's Supper in worship together to give you pardon and peace that you are good with God and your sins are forgiven and you have the strength to stand up to temptation. Friends, a way out is the way. It is Christ as he comes to you in word and sacrament. First application is is don't miss these, but Let's say that positively in the second application, that true confidence is centered in Christ. You might say that the, the problem the Corinthians had, that the problem Israelites had, is that they took God's grace and God's goodness to them as a license to sin. Like, ah, God loves me. That means I can do whatever I want. Instead of using God's grace as a license to sin, why don't we look at God's grace? And God's grace as it comes to us in word and sacrament as proof, proof positive that he is always faithful, that he is always with us, that he is always giving us all we need for body and life and most of all, life eternal. Here's the third and final application. You know true confidence. You know that a way out is the way. The last one is this. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Can I tell you something kind of funny that happens in pastor's life? Um, Every once in a while, this happens where after worship gets done, someone will come up to me and we don't have a Bob at church. So let's say this guy's name is Bob. Bob will come up to me and be like, oh, pastor, great message. Great message from God's word today. I wish Mary was here to hear this. I mean, she's always complaining. She's always grumbling. I wish Mary heard this message happens more often than you'd think. And you kind of go as a pastor, thanks. Uh, I wish Mary was here too. But you want to say like, Bob, you're complaining right now. This message was for you. It'll happen where Mary will come to church and be like, oh, I wish my sister Sarah was here to hear this. She's always gossiping. Let me tell you about how she gossips all the time. And she goes on and you're like, well, Mary, this is actually, this message was for you. (laughs) I don't know. It happens and and, and maybe, maybe I want to encourage it to not happen and, and for us to take to heart the message that God's word provides to us. But, but maybe this Sunday's different because you're here. You're right here, which means you're not there or there where Satan wants you, where the devil is constantly trying to pull you to be. But because you're here, you might know someone who's not here yet. And I can't go there. I can't go there at least in the same ways that you can go there into those people's lives and speak to them words of warning that can be taken well. Words of warning that that don't come at them and say, watch out for the snakes, God's going to get you. Watch out for the destroying angel, God's not pleased with you but words that come to them and speak to them and point them to the gardener. The gardener who is Christ Jesus, who is constantly reaching out to us and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I'm here because I love you. I'm here to save you from the acts of judgment. I'm here because I want you to know that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the way out of any trial or temptation or difficulty that you're experiencing. I am your savior. I am here not to just provide some idealistic confidence, but true confidence that is centered on me, the rock of your salvation. And you get to point them to that. So they're not here or here, there or there, but they're right here with their Savior living with that. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.